Reading from uh, Ephesians 4, verse 25. Therefore, having put away all, all falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. For we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting, corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Thank you, Nate. I uh, wanted you all to get to meet Nate Hayes, one of our summer interns here. And uh, thank you for reading that passage, Nate. Great job, by the way. You're a college student in Oregon? Yeah, at uh, George Fox University. Right. And you and Ronnie, I think, are especially working with our students this summer in the area of outreach ministry. That's right. What do you see in the Lord do amongst our students this summer? Um, it's just amazing. Uh, they're getting involved. I think my favorite thing that we're seeing is the Thursday we go out evangelizing and just spreading the good news. Um, and seeing like kids as young as like middle school getting involved in that is amazing. That is amazing. Are people fairly open? Would you, I mean, these are people you don't know, right, that you're coming up to talk to and try to share the gospel with? Yeah, um, so far we've talked to mostly homeless people and people at the mall, and I'd say about 90% of the conversations are pretty good, go receptively. That is amazing. Well, thank you so much for what you're doing. Would you join me in just thanking Nate and our, our summer interns? I'd like, to, I'd like to pray for them once again. Fathers, we stand before you is your church in the name of Jesus. We want to thank you for our students, for our youth interns. We pray for the fullness of the blessing of Christ upon them, for the power of the Holy Spirit to be at work in and through them. Keep them safe. Use them to strengthen our church, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much, Nate. Really appreciate what you're doing. Thank you all for being here as well this morning. And uh, did you enjoy the summer block party recap video? Some of you were here uh, for three nights this past week, and some of you here a lot more than that because you were building sets and setting up and taking down. And I'd just like to say thank you so very, very much. It was wonderful to see all of the kids here uh, this past week learning the gospel, having fun. And I know it's a little bit tiring for those of you who, who uh, were so fully invested in this, but thank you so very, very, very much. We're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper today, communion. So if you did not get one of these little uh, cups with a wafer in the bottom on the way in, ushers will have them uh, later. But since we're going to celebrate at the end of the message, I won't uh, share my usual upcoming events at that point in the service, but I do want now to call your attention to the bulletin, either the print one you got on the way in or the one on your app on your phone. A lot of things coming up quickly. I'd especially call your attention to the church app. If you haven't got the Church Center app on your phone, that's probably the best way to stay abreast of 
everything happening in the church very quick and easy to register for things that way. So um, <clears throat> all the info on getting that is in your bulletin today as well. We are, um, excuse me, we're continuing this morning a new series we've begun called Truth and Love. Our goal is to be people who fully embrace the truth of God's Scripture, and yet to do that with love for all people. And today we're going to talk about what I think is perhaps an underrated virtue, and that is kindness. Kindness is one of the fruit of the Holy Spirit listed in the New Testaments. That is, it's one of the things the Holy Spirit develops in the life of a Christian, a believer, someone who has the Holy Spirit dwelling within, one of the evidences of the presence of the Holy Spirit. But kindness seems to be in particularly short supply in our world today. Uh, perhaps you've noticed that. Uh, certainly in politics, it seems to be in short supply. In uh, most media, often in sports, even in business. Because kindness is often seen as a type of, of weakness. And yet, according to the scripture, it should be seen as a type of spiritual strength that is given us by the Holy Spirit. We're going to talk about kindness today in a, con in a contentious world. And we live in a contentious, divided, angry, and polarized world. I don't think any of us would question that. But yet as believers, we're to be shining as lights in the midst of a dark world. We're to be living differently. And we're to be kind, yes, even toward those who are not followers of Jesus, who may vehemently disagree with what we believe. The Apostle Paul wrote the words you see on the screen to Timothy. Timothy was his young child in the faith, his son in the faith. And Paul writes these words to him, instruction not only for Timothy, but for us as, for us as well, anyone who is the Lord's servant. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. Now, is Paul talking about only being kind to other Christians? No. He continues, God may perhaps grant them repentance leading to a knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. He's talking about being kind to people with whom we disagree. People who, do, who need to come to repentance, people who don't have the knowledge of the truth, people who are ensnared by the devil's deceptions. We're to be kind to people who don't know the Lord. We Christians should be known for our kindness to the unbelieving world. And so this morning, I'd like to try to respond to the question, how can we show kindness in a contentious world? We're going to be looking at the passage that Nate read for us just a moment ago in Ephesians chapter 4. The first way, I think, is by holding fast to God's truth while showing love to all people. Kindness does not mean compromise. Love, God's love, always rejoices with the truth. Paul says in this passage, speaking the truth in love, we're to grow up in every way 
into him who is the head, even Christ. The ability to speak the truth of God, to hold fast to truth, and yet do it in a loving way is a mark of spiritual maturity. If you can do that, if you can share the truth with someone and yet do it in a gracious, kind, a loving way, it's a mark of maturity, Christ-likeness. As we do that, Paul says, we're growing up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. We can hold fast to truth, but we should do it with love. Paul goes on to say in verse 25 of the same passage, putting away falsehood, let each of you speak the truth with his neighbor. Kindness is not compromise. We don't compromise the truth of God to reach people in our world. I think perhaps one of the best biblical examples of someone who held fast to truth and spoke the truth in a contrary environment and yet did it in a kind and gracious and loving way was the Old Testament hero, Daniel. Daniel is a great study for you if you feel like you work in an environment where everything that you hold fast to and and, and, and believed to be true is disregarded. Maybe you feel you're the only Christian in your organization. Maybe you feel that way when you gather with your family. You're the only Christian. Daniel's a great example of someone who was faithful to God and his truth, uncompromising toward God's truth, and yet was gracious and kind to those around him. For example... In Daniel chapter 4, you'll see these words on the screen. The setting is this. Daniel was serving in a foreign land, a foreign culture. Uh, people worshipped uh, idols, other gods. And he was serving under King Nebuchadnezzar. King Nebuchadnezzar had, had a dream that troubled him greatly. He called in the enchanters, the astrologers, the so-called wise men. Nobody could explain the dream or interpret it to him. And he heard that Daniel could interpret such things, so Daniel was called. And in Daniel chapter 4, in verse 18, Nebuchadnezzar says, This dream I, King Nebuchadnezzar, saw in you, O Belshazzar, and that's how, what he called Daniel. Tell me the interpretation, because all the wise men of my kingdom are not able to make it known to me, but you are able, for the spirit of the holy gods is in you. And then Dan Daniel whose name was Belshazzar, was dismayed for a while, and his thoughts alarmed him. The king answered and said, Belshazzar, let not the dream or the interpretation alarm you. Belshazzar, and this is Daniel, answered and said, My Lord, may the dream be for those who hate you and its interpretation for your enemies. In other words, King I'm, I'm, I'm going to tell you the truth, but I wish it wasn't true. He's speaking graciously. He's speaking with kindness. And then we read a few verses later, uh, Daniel interprets the dream. And he says, this is the interpretation of king. It is a decree of the Most High, which has come upon my Lord the King, that you shall be driven from among men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. Wow. Now, he's not bringing him a very pleasant word, is he? But it's true. You shall be made to eat grass like an ox, and you shall be wet with the dew of heaven, and seven periods of time shall pass over you too. You know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. 
And as it was commanded to leave the stump of the roots of the tree, your kingdom shall be confirmed for you from the time that you know that heaven rules. Therefore, O king, let my counsel be acceptable to you. Break off your sins by practicing righteousness and your iniquities by showing mercy to the oppressed, that there may perhaps be a lengthening of your prosperity. All this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar. Daniel delivers to King Nebuchadnezzar a hard word, but true. Daniel's uncompromising, but he speaks the truth with grace and kindness and even evident care for this erring king. I think he's a good example for us. We should be people who hold fast to God's truth while showing love to all people, and then we can be, as Jesus calls us, to be lights in a dark world. Secondly, how can we show kindness in a contentious world? By refusing to hold on to anger toward others. The passage Nate read is a really important verse where we're told this. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. And then later let bitterness and wrath and anger and uh, clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Angry Christian, angry Christian should be an oxymoron. You know what an oxymoron is? Words that are kind of contradictory that shouldn't go together. Words like jumbo shrimp, uh, old news, plastic silverware, true fiction, exact estimate, awfully good, random order. Oxymoron. Angry Christian. They should not go together. Do we get angry? Of course we get angry. Normal human emotion. And Paul says, be angry and do not sin. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. This is, these are two of the best verses I know for married couples to hold on to. Because if you're married, you're going to get angry at one another uh, often in life. And Anger suppressed, repressed, pressed down, uh, only gets worse. It becomes bitterness. It becomes resentment. And this is a formula here in Ephesians 4, 26 and 27 for just dealing with it before the sun goes down. Dealing with it promptly. Dealing with it quickly. Deal with your resentment so they don't build, they don't grow. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. But not only for marriages, for relationships with others, relationships with people who are not believers. You can't reach people if you're holding on to deep anger toward them. I think of the biblical example here of Jonah. You ever read the book of Jonah in the Old Testament, the Jonah who was swallowed by the big fish? Jonah was called to take God's truth to some people who, whom he considered the most ungodly of the ungodly. And as you read that book, what's quite remarkable is that Joe, though Jonah truly knows God, he's a real prophet of God, he has such anger toward these people that he doesn't want them to repent. And he's concerned when they do, and he's angry when they do. It is fine for us as believers to recognize the wrongness of bad ideas, but not to hate the people. Not to hate the people who hold the bad ideas. They're people who need to come into the light. Those first verses I read from 2 Timothy, 
written by the Apostle Paul, indicate that people who are blinded to spiritual truth need to be recovered out of the snare of the devil, for they've been taken captive by him to do his will. Paul said he went to preach the gospel to open the eyes of those who've been blinded. Now, some people will say, well, I think Christians are supposed to be angry all the time because God has wrath. And it's true that God's wrath is revealed from heaven against all unrighteousness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth in their unrighteousness. But there's a very big difference between God's wrath and my human wrath. God's wrath is holy and pure and without any sin, and mine is not. Mine is tainted by human sin. And weakness. That's why you, the next words you see on the screen from James are so very important. James says, know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. The wrath of God does produce the righteousness of God. My human anger does not. I think of the biblical example of one of the first deacons in the early Christian church. His name was Stephen. It is remarkable to read Stephen's account in the book of Acts. We're told in the book of Acts chapter 6 that Stephen was a man full of faith and full of the Holy Spirit. He went out to serve as a deacon, but he did more than serve food. Mighty signs and wonders were being done by this man, and he ended up preaching the gospel to a crowd of people. And as Stephen preaches the gospel, you can read one of the longest sermons in the book of Acts. It's almost all of Acts chapter 7. He is uncompromising in his truth of God's word. And when he gets toward the end of his sermon, he begins applying it to the hard-hearted religious people who were listening to him. And he even refers to them as stiff-necked people. Now that's speaking hard truth to people when you can say something like that. But Stephen didn't have hatred in his heart toward the people. They weren't so incensed at him that they picked up stones ready to put him to death by stoning. The scripture says they took off their outer garments so as not to get them splattered by the horrific deed they were about to commit and laid them down at the feet of a young man standing behind them named Saul who gave approval to the execution. And they begin stoning Stephen, and as he's dying, he says, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. But then something very interesting happens at the very end of Acts chapter 7. He's already said, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Seemingly, he's, he's dying, his final breath. But before the chapter ends, the Bible says he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Can you imagine that? Why did he cry out with a loud voice all of a sudden? I suspect it's because there was a young Jewish leader standing behind the others, holding all the garments, named Saul. And I suspect that Saul heard him. And it's not many verses more in the book of Acts till Saul is on the Damascus road and he's confronted by a blinding light. And the kindness and the grace seen in that first martyr of the early church, seems 
I think, to have had some impact, perhaps on Paul and his coming to faith, <clears throat> becoming the great apostle Paul, who wrote almost half our New Testament. Key for Stephen is the scripture says a couple of times that he was full of the Holy Spirit. And it leads me to the next point in this passage from Ephesians. How can we show kindness in a contentious world? Not in our own strength. <clears throat> if I'm led by my own reasoning or my own emotions, I'd be mad all the time <laughs> at the world around me. But we do that by being controlled, not by our own reasoning or mere human emotions, but by the Holy Spirit. That's what makes believers different, is having the Holy Spirit dwelling within. By honoring the Holy Spirit who indwells us, if we are, and I stress, if we are, followers of Jesus. The promise of the abiding, indwelling presence of the Spirit is only given to believers. Some people talk like every human being's got the Holy Spirit dwelling within. That's not the case. Jesus, in his death on the cross, bore the judgment for our sins. In his resurrection, he gained us the gift of eternal life. The Holy Spirit not only awakens us to this truth and regenerates us, but he then indwells those, those of us who have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus. Our bodies become literally the temples of the Holy Spirit. And we're called to walk with the Spirit. We're called to keep in step with the Spirit. We're called to be controlled by the Spirit. And Paul says, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up. It fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. You ever heard corrupting talk, ungracious talk, unfitting for the occasion, unedifying talk come out of the mouths of people who profess to be Christians? Paul says, don't let it be, and thereby do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. This is one of the most remarkable verses in the New Testament to me, because it seems so striking to me that a mere human being could grieve the omnipotent Holy Spirit of God by what we do or don't do. The word grieve conveys the ideas of to, to pain, to insult, to offend. Paul's saying be cautious and don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God. How do we, how do we grieve the Holy Spirit of God? Well, for one, I think, we, we grieve him by living as if he doesn't even exist by ignoring him. I really believe it is a sin for a Christian to ignore the indwelling Holy Spirit. What greater gift could a human being have, having been redeemed by the blood of Jesus, than to be indwelt by the very Spirit of the living God, the one who regenerates us, the one who brings us to faith, the one whom Jesus said, will guide you into all truth and show you things to come, whom Jesus said will receive from me and reveal it unto you. One who gently brings us to faith in Christ. He lives within us and we're to walk in the Spirit. We're to be filled with the Spirit. We're to be conscious of the Spirit. And we're not to grieve the Spirit. 
I think it's a sin to disregard His presence. And I think increasingly as believers, we're called to yield to His influence. And I find that one of the most difficult ways to do that is knowing when to speak, when not to speak, what to say, what not to say. We can only show kindness in a contentious world by honoring the Holy Spirit. It's only because Stephen was filled with the Holy Spirit that in his dying breath he could cry out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Jesus, of course, is the only perfect example of the Spirit-guided life. He also, dying on the cross, said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. How can we show kindness in a contentious world? By cultivating this neglected, underrated quality, this neglected, underrated fruit, kindness. Again, Paul says in this passage, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. Paul's telling us here to be kind to other believers, kind to one another. Previously in 2 Timothy, he told us to be kind to everyone, even those outside of the kingdom of God. Kindness is an expression of love, the love that we receive from God. As we see in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 4, this love from God is described as patient and kind. The very definition of love, love is patient and kind. We see it's one of the fruit that the Spirit develops. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, kindness. One of my favorite pastors in church history said, you're not very holy if you're not very kind. God's kindness actually brought us to repentance and the knowledge of our need for his salvation, bringing us into his kingdom. This is what Paul writes in Romans chapter 2 and verse 4, where we read these words. Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? It surprises me a little bit that that verse is written that way. I would almost expect it to say God's wrath is meant to lead you to repentance. And God's wrath is an important reality, and it's true, and we should be aware of it. But it's remarkable that, that Paul writes here, it's God's kindness that's meant to lead you to repentance. God's kindness <clears throat> changes us. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the story of God's kindness. His kindness. We will never exhaust or fully understand the degree and the extent of God's kindness. The reason I say that is the Apostle Paul, just two chapters earlier in Ephesians, writes these words. He says, by grace you've been saved and raised up with Christ, seated with him in the heavenly places, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Let me read that again. So that in the coming ages, that is when we're in heaven, that is after this life, in the coming ages 
he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. I think that means for all of eternity, we're going to be discovering new depths of God's kindness that has been shown us in Christ Jesus. It's a remarkable thought, really. God's kindness is meant to lead us to repentance. Likewise, our kindness may be used by God to lead others to repentance, others who don't know him. There are interesting two verses in the book of Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 25. And um, if you're like these, you may have scratched your head when you've read them in the past uh, because Proverbs 25, 21, and 22 reads, If your enemy is hungry, give him bread to eat. And if he's thirsty, give him water to drink. For you will heap burning coals on his head, and the Lord will reward you. Now, having burning coals on your head doesn't sound very good to me. In fact, it sounds like uh, something pretty dangerous. It sounds like a pretty bad punishment. And it sounds like it's saying the Lord's going to reward you if you, if you, you know, give him some bread or water to drink. He's, he's really going really to reward you by punishing that guy real badly. But I don't think that's what it means. Commentators suggest, Bible commentators suggest, that this re- relates to an Egyptian ritual ancient Egyptian ritual, in which a a repentant person carried a pan of of coals on their head simply to publicly show their act of repentance. If that's true, what the verses mean then is that by giving our enemy bread when he's hungry or water when he's thirsty, we may be cooperating with God's work to bring him to repentance, to change. Your act of kindness may help bring someone else to repentance and faith. I find that sometimes it's hard to be kind in life to my own wife, uh, people around me. I feel angry when I see what's happening in the world oftentimes. And sometimes when I feel like I I need a quality more fully developed in my life or guidance, some need, I like to write out a prayer based on Scripture. And I want to share one with you and and, um, recommend this practice to you of writing Scripture form prayer. It's a really simple thing to do. And here's an example of one taking mainly just the passages that we've looked at today. And this is something you might type up, fold up, put in your Bible, read from time to time. Father, I come to you in the name of Jesus. I thank you for your great kindness that led me to repentance and belief in the gospel. That's based on Romans 2.4 that we saw a moment ago. Thank you for the sacrifice of Christ who loved me and gave himself up for me, based on Ephesians 5, 2 that we read. Please fill me with your spirit and with the fruit of kindness today. We read that in Galatians 5. Let my life be guided by your love, which is patient and kind. We read that in 1 Corinthians. Help me to hold fast to your truth with love. We didn't read that verse yet from Colossians. But it's a good one. 
letting the, the word of Christ dwell richly in us. Help me to see others as you do. Help me to be kind to others, tenderhearted, quick to forgive as you've forgiven me, as we saw in Ephesians 4.32. Thank you for your kindness to me, Lord. Amen. I want to recommend this to you. You can write the very same prayer by going back to the very same verses. And this can be done with any quality that you see you want developed in your life. I find that if I write a scripture-formed prayer and begin praying that prayer, that it helps me to pray with greater confidence, greater faith, greater assurance that I'm praying according to God's will. And I, I highly recommend that practice to you. Now, as we close today, I'd like to ask you to join me for just a few minutes of prayer before we move into the celebration of communion, the Lord's Supper. This is the week we're going to celebrate July 4th. And um, as we look at our nation, we go, this is a very, very divided nation in which we live. And we don't often see a lot of kindness between those who hold differing views. But I believe that the hope for any nation lies in God's work through his people. God's grace in the followers of Jesus, I believe, can change a nation along with our prayers, as was the case with Daniel. So would you join me right now as we spend a a moment praying for our nation? Father, we come to you in the great name of Jesus Christ, the Lord. Have mercy on the United States of America. Lord, our sins have been many. There is no doubt. And we don't come to you because of our own human righteousness, but because of your mercy and your steadfast love. Father, your word says, Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people whom he has chosen as his heritage. Father, we pray that you would so work in our nation that we could say that indeed our God is is the Lord. We could say with these words of Psalm 33 and verse 22, let your steadfast love, O Lord, be upon us even as we hope in you. And Father, for your church, your people, those of us here who know you, we pray, Lord, do the needed work in us that we could hold fast to your truth in this contentious world and yet do it with love for all people, that we could show kindness to those around us, We'd not be quarrelsome, hate-filled people, but we'd be kind, gracious, filled with the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. Let us take your truth into the world and shine as bright lights in this world that people might glorify our Father who is in heaven. Have mercy upon our nation and let the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ prevail here. We thank you for our freedoms. Thank you for those who have served and given their lives that we might worship you freely. Thank you for the freedom here and thank you above all for freedom from the consequences of our sin because of the sacrifice of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we pray in his great name. Amen.